It is a wonderful day today. The sun is shining and the temperatures are finally back to normal for this time of the year. We've had such a cold month of May that I'm welcoming this weather and I'm embracing it. I want to go outside and enjoy it. People are on their bikes, sitting outside on the terraces here in Wageningen. There's a billboard that says, We think too much and feel too little. It has a photo of Charlie Chaplin on it, because apparently it's... Uh, a quote. We think too much, we feel too little. Well, today I'm more in a feeling mood and I'm I'm currently feeling the warmth of the sun. I'm hearing the birds in the big tree here on my left, uh, in the backyard of Hotel the World, where the peace treaty or the surrender of the Nazis was signed, as I've mentioned before. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to have normal springtime weather again. Now, actually, we're approaching summertime now. Time is going by really, really fast. And uh, the past few weeks, as I've uh, told you in, in previous episodes of The Walk, I've been very busy with uh, the the renovations that are still underway in uh, in my future home. I can't wait for it to be finished, but we still have a long way to go. Some cars here passing me by. And I also have quite a bit of work related to my TV job. And I spent another night working. Well, at least I got some sleep. I got a few hours of sleep, but I still had to work until 3.30 in the morning to meet the deadline it's another reminder of the fact that even though I love this kind of work I I really enjoy telling retelling the story of my Camino and uh, by watching all the footage and editing it I kind of relive the Camino as if I were there again so in that respect it's you know definitely something I I enjoy doing and I want to do But it is just the time constraints that are grueling. Having to uh, edit a story like that in well, about three days. And of course, uh, last weekend was the Pentecost weekend. So for most of the Sunday, uh, I was busy with that. And then on Monday, we uh, we met with our vacation group. I call it vacation group. It's uh, three other priests, Father Henry, Father Harry, and Father Michel. And uh, every once in a while we get together and we make plans for summer holidays. <laughs> and so because, of course, uh, we're approaching the summer, it's uh, it's time to start planning and start booking. Even though we don't know, of course, what the situation in the world will be. But signs are pretty positive when it comes to traveling within Europe. We will all probably be vaccinated I'm getting my vaccination on June the 5th, and it's going to be a one-time vaccination uh, with the Janssen vaccine. So apparently that's effective enough to uh, to only need one injection, which is nice. And so a few weeks later, I will be uh, pretty immune to to the current virus. <laughs> Always have to be careful. We never know how the situation will evolve, but... Things are looking good for the summer. But on Monday we we came together, so that was another day that I couldn't work. 
So I basically had Tuesday and Wednesday left, and then uh, Wednesday, both, no, actually on both days, I also had to do some extra work around the house, around the renovation, because there are people at work there, and I need to go there from time to time and arrange things or make decisions or be there when, well, they show me what they want to do. So all in all, those days weren't full days of work either, which resulted in me working until 3.30 in the morning, which I'm still tired of it. Um, Physically tired. But that's why I love being outside here and soaking up the sun. At least that really gives me energy, literally. uh, It's almost as if my my battery is charging again. And uh, I've been waiting for this kind of weather. For some reason... As I told you, the cold um, that we went through, of course, had a very direct impact on my well-being since I live in the definitely the coldest room of the house, uh, up the stairs in the attic, where the heating is not functioning very well. And so uh, the the cold is literally draining. It, it, I think it, it just requires extra energy for my body to keep itself warm. And since... I'm walking up the stairs to the top of the dike here. Over, this is one of my favorite parts of the of the of the environment. We, we overlook the 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 lower area where there's no uh, there are no buildings there. This is all part of the river. So when that water rises, it can overflow in this area. So it's super green right now. Uh, there are these huge patches of yellow where the, I think these are butter uh, flowers or buttercups, buttercup flowers um, that are growing now. And it's a gorgeous sight. And I think this is new. I don't remember this, seeing this last week. But anyway, so the, the cold also, it takes up extra energy. And uh, I'm just really at the... Uh, I've, I've, I've used up all my resources and uh, the, the upside of the situation is that uh, the, the um, renovation of the house is, is uh, moving ahead and it's, it's really looking good. I'm, I love the quality of the work. I love how, how well they do the things. Um, and so what, just to give you an idea, so there's two floors. When you enter the house, there is the main living room. That's still uh, the room where the most of the work still needs to happen. They they decided to start upstairs, but in the living room, there's currently we're currently debating, or I'm I'm trying to uh, figure out what to do with uh, a a wall in the middle of the of the room, like a block of stone, and there is a built-in safe, which of course is from the time that there was still a parish priest or parish pastor living there and the safe was for uh for instance the registers for baptism and and uh, all the personal stuff that you want to keep there and so of course now for me it's not it's not useful nor is it for future inhabitants of this building because the house is no longer um rented as a uh, as a rectory so what I hope is that uh, I'll be allowed to completely remove that big block of stone and uh, get, move the safe to a different place. 
Um, but then, of course, many layers, many people involved. And uh, there, there tends to be, I think, an attitude of uh, why change, you know. <laughs> but that was the whole question when I wanted to renovate. It's all, well, why would you want to renovate? I mean, isn't it good like it is, as it is? And I was like, no, <laughs> this is 75-year-old stuff, you know. Uh, and so it's, it, it is in need of an upgrade. Plus, uh, you can't keep it this way. It's, it's almost falling apart. But you have that... I, I think it's just built in, especially now that the people working in parishes are usually of a somewhat older generation. There is this tendency to just keep things as they are. Uh, you see that also when it comes to uh, liturgy or um, what the church looks like. And I've seen so many places all in the all over the world where uh when you enter the church it is a mishmash of styles and it's uh especially the worst is if a church has been uh, treated badly during the 60s and 70s and they just painted everything white and removed all the statues and put carpet on the floors that sort of stuff uh, i know uh, of a lot of my fellow priests when they are trying to change things and and make the liturgical space more beautiful again or even making changes in the liturgy itself maybe go back to more classic forms there's a lot of resistance from the older generation there's a lot of like but this is what we're used to this is this is for this is what this is our world we don't want this new stuff and i think this is probably something that happens every generation and I may have the same resistance towards the changes that a newer generation wants to bring about. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, a bit of a game of, of give and take. And also it forces me to come up with good arguments why I want to make changes and explain what the benefits are. And then hopefully that will, that will be enough. But anyway, so the living room, how that will look in the end... It's going to be. Uh, it's going to depend also on what we are allowed to change. Of course, I'm just renting the place. I don't own the house. Otherwise, I'd probably make more drastic changes. But um, and what was very funny the other day, I opened the safe, and I found a. There was still stuff in there, which is another reason to uh, to move it to the parish uh, room, the parish uh, uh, spaces of the uh, next to the church. Uh, we found a, I found an old photo album with photos of when the church was built. And you, so you see still the old liturgy and the, the bishop is consecrating the church. And it, it looks pretty nice. I'm thinking, wow, we, we seriously degraded what liturgy looks like uh, a few years later when the, the whole you know, renewal movement started and then everything became just ugly. And you can tell by looking at the photos how, how nice and beautiful it, it was when these are all black and white photos. But it just looks, I don't know, there's, there's a grace to the way everything is balanced. And you see photos of the 70s and it's just a mess. And the, the emphasis seems to be solely on participation. So from a classic choir where... where, where your know, liturgy is unfolding like, a, uh, <laughs> you know, with every everything seems to be in harmony. Then all of a sudden you see 
you know, kids' drawings and, and, and lots and lots of people standing around the altar and, and, and people are just wearing their casual clothes instead of dressing for the occasion or, or using liturgical vestments. And, and now we're currently in, in the situation where you have the leftovers of that but everything is out of balance. Everything is, a, well, as I said, a mishmash of styles. And um, uh, it is fun to see how it was originally built and to look at the kind of... It all makes sense when you look at these older photos. And so for me, as always, the challenge is to go back to um, the internal logic of the, of the architecture. And to also, of course, it's not... It's not perfect. Even back then, you have architects that, that made weird choices that are maybe made sense in their time, but now we would make different choices. So, for instance, in, in the house that we're renovating, we discovered that a number of walls are just slanted. Slanted horizontally, not vertically, thank God. But they're just in an angle, and it just doesn't make sense. When you look at the overall plan of the house, it's like, Why? It's just probably because the architect thought it was, you know, otherwise it would be too boring. So he wanted to give it its personal touch. But now I'm thinking like, good Lord, why did you make those walls slanted? It's so hard to put furniture there when the walls are not in, in you know, in 90 degree angles. You can't put a cupboard in a, in a, in a, a corner where one of the walls is angled. It doesn't work. So it's just... These things, you know, we're trying to work with it, but it's true. And in the church is the same thing. There are some choices that the architect made where I'm thinking, oh, wow, that is really not a good decision. So I'm not against making changes, but it is about the overall, maybe what I what triggers me when I look at those older photos, those black and white photos, and you see the liturgy, how it was celebrated, is in a certain way, it's a combination of simplicity and beauty. So there is a certain harmony. There's also just the, the everything that's around the 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 altar in the choir is has a function, is makes sense. There's just a few elements that I'm thinking, whoa, those were weird choices. So for instance, the the back then the, the priest who built the church, he had a he wanted a, a, a big block of, of natural stone underneath the tabernacle. And this is where normally in an older church, this was built in the 50s, so it was in the middle of this whole movement of, well, let's get rid of these old high altars and, and celebrate with facing the people. Um, so instead of building a high altar, he built this big block of stone which is so completely dissonant with everything else in the building and then he put the tabernacle on top of it and then behind it is a some, some kind of small platform it's the weirdest thing so thankfully in 2010 they they destroyed that and they got rid of it which, which made the entire space of course uh, bigger but also cleaner um, but what also happened is that they started to add all sorts of other things. So now, for instance, you have singers behind the altar, um, which is relatively new. And to me, for me, that doesn't work visually because uh, 
it 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 uh, it it change it, it kind of how would you say that visually what you want is that people concentrate on the things that truly matter when you have people standing there behind the altar it attracts attention and it it, it takes attention away from the altar and from the pulpit from the the liturgy itself which to me is obviously something that you shouldn't do anyway so there are things that i think you you could change and uh now of course that is just the parish church that is not really uh my concern because i've not been appointed to this parish but in the in the in the rectory you see you see similar strange choices and what i try to do is to go back to well what was the original idea of the house um what works and can we just strip it from everything that is just too much that's why we got rid of the kitchen and redesigned it and made it more logical for for uh for today's needs um and at the same time you try to keep it simple and beautiful all right so i've arrived at the arboretum i'm going to take the the well-known mountain path so it's going to go upstairs <laughs> need to do some climbing here um so that's the lower part of the house and then upstairs we're making a new bathroom uh, but all the plumbing had to be redone because it's all from the 50s and it's basically broken um, all the electricity is being redone because of course i work with a lot of computer equipment none of those uh none of the wiring was grounded and so that had to be uh, changed and then also of course in the 50s people just didn't have much electrical equipment especially the priest who built the church was already at an advanced age i can tell from the photos so he was living there with uh, um the lady who uh, did the household uh, who did, did the you know took care of the of the priest and these were older people already so there are there is a total lack of of electricity in most rooms so we had uh, an electrician install way more uh, connections and then of course you have to make some quick change quick choices what am i going to do with the tv where am i going to place it that is the hardest part is make all these decisions uh, really quickly when you don't really have the luxury to just stand in the house look at it and then kind of brainstorm it's like i need to know months before i start living there how am i how i'm planning to use the rooms which is normally for me i'd like like to just be in a house for a while just look around and then i start to get ideas and then oftentimes over time i will change it when it comes to electricity of course if you put your internet connection electricity um where i'm currently planning the the desk i can't move the desk to another place in the room anymore <laughs> so that's upstairs there's this bi- slightly bigger room where i'm going to have my my uh uh my computer basically my workstation and i right now i'm thinking of keeping the rest of the room as empty as possible um <clears throat> because i'm thinking one of my hobbies is uh vr I love to walk around in virtual worlds and it's the Star Trek technology that has always fascinated me and one of the 
issues that I bumped into in my previous home was the lack of space. Of course, if you walk around in a room, um, you don't want too much to bump into. And there was actually, I in 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 the on the the system that I have, you can trace like a virtual ba- set of boundaries that prevents you from bumping into your own full furniture. And I still remember trying out the Oculus Quest, and it was such a tiny area. So it kind of took away uh, from the immersion. Every every time I would walk two steps in a certain direction, I would get that warning, like, don't bump into your into your door <laughs> or the walls. So hopefully by keeping most of the uh, workspace empty, it will do two things. Give me a place to walk around uh, with the VR technology, and it creates visual rest. It's I've noticed since I've been living in this small attic space that clutter is very distracting. And I think it's even psychologically true that if you have a desk where everything just piles up and it just also clutters the mind and it it, uh, it impedes focusing. <coughs> so I should clean up more in this little room, especially because it's so small. Uh, wait a minute. I'm back at that little bench here, <coughs> making the same mistake as last time I walked around here. And that's go all the way back. What I can do is... I always forget that there's this road that is uh, separating the mountain into two halves. And I'm always on the wrong side of the mountain. <laughs> uh, and there is no way to go back to... Oh, well, I'll just follow this road. And let's see where that ends. It is very quiet right now. It's still morning, so most people are at work. <clears throat> so I've got this entire field of... Right now there are white flowers here. That is new. I've got it all for myself. Love it. So, simplicity. And at the same time, you want it to be cozy. Uh, you want to create a homely home. Um, but all that is only going to make sense when I live there, when I have time to settle and to think about how can I make this my own home. And well, that is still weeks in the future. So what am I doing right now? Well, trying to finish this last episode uh, of the Camino. There's one more to go. It is when I'm recording this, it's uh, Friday. So I'm hoping to at least uh, put a dent in the voiceover text, which is the actually, well, it's not the most amount of work, it's the hardest part. It's looking at all the footage and create a narrative that makes sense. And then I noticed last time that when I went through it, I still had to take out so much information. Not because it's not interesting, but it when you see the entire story, it takes away the flow. And it's, uh, it's a bit of a balancing act between the story, my personal story, because if, if I don't tell a personal story of my Camino, then nobody would watch it. It's just images. It's just information. It's, so you want to keep it more personal, but on the other hand, you also want to give people some facts and some context. And so I told this time a, a number of, of legends uh, from places that I visited, things that I didn't even realize when I was walking the Camino. I looked it up afterwards and I'm thinking, wow, there's this tiny, tiny little town towards the end of the, of the Meseta, which is the uh, 
big, you know, it's like a 220 kilometers long um, part of the Camino that is completely empty. There's almost nothing there. And there was this uh, small town towards the end of the Meseta. That's what the, this area is called. Uh, they're like flat highlands. Um, it was called Terra Dios de los Templarios. And that was one of the worst villages. There was absolutely nothing. And when, when a space is empty like this, a village is empty, in Dutch you would say, there is not a chicken on the road, or there's not a chicken in the streets. Um, and then, kind of, for, by just looking up the place, I noticed there was actually a story, a legend about a chicken connected to the place. So I'm thinking, I could do a little wordplay. And... And, and I didn't because it was so empty and it was the weather was horrible. It was raining and it was a very cold, windy day. I almost had no footage of the village. But then I read that there's this legend about a chicken that laid golden eggs. Well, you know that story from other fairy tales as well. This is a story you see actually not just in Western cultures, but also I think in Indian culture. There are stories, same, similar stories of birds laying eggs. Sometimes it's a goose, sometimes it's a chicken. In this case, the story is that uh, there was this magical chicken, or blessed chicken, <laughs> back then in the, in the village that laid golden eggs. And uh, every month, the priest, um, who apparently belonged to a chapter, so I think he was probably... Um, oh, it's not the same diocese. Maybe it was in the, in the Middle Ages, who knows. But anyway he brought one of those golden eggs to Santiago. So he walked to Santiago de Compostela and bring this golden egg as a payment to his superiors. And he did that every month. And then at one point, he arrives in, in Santiago and gives them the golden egg. And they say, we don't want it. Just give us the chicken. Which is a smart move, I guess. But uh, the priest is shocked. He's like, that is just greedy. And back then, according to the legend, there was a garrison of uh, uh, temple knights that was stationed in that village. That's why it's called um, uh, de los templarios, of, of the templiers, of the, the temple knights. And so the priest, together with the knights, decided to bury the chicken so that no one would be greedy anymore. <laughs> and that is still the legend uh, in that village and so but I had to kind of figure out how am I going to I couldn't illustrate it because it was apparently a bit of a, a um, forgotten legend and so there I haven't found any paintings or frescoes about this uh, <clears throat> about this story and of course if you type in you know golden eggs you will find all the fairy tale illustrations that are usually for children so I couldn't use that either um, so instead I had to open my book of tricks to still make it work. <laughs> but that was fun. So, but, but of course, a story like that is completely unrelated to my personal journey, but it lightens up the, the overall narrative. Uh, hopefully I succeeded to make a, a good balance. That's the one, another downside of working until 3.30 in the morning is you, at one point you're just basically, I'm on autopilot. I was like, work, 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 work. I do all the technical stuff, so I, I, I just trust that the original story that I wrote a few days before still works and is still balanced enough. But I don't have the distance enough or the energy 
to look at look at the ensemble picture and decide if it works as a story. So, well, usually mm, my instincts are pretty good and and it always turns out well. Uh, I had the same question with choosing music, so I'm still only using the free YouTube music because if I make this available to an international audience and I post this on YouTube, you don't want to get any copyright notices. So the I'm using this this big library of well okay music. It's not it's not great, uh, but occasionally you'll find some music that is usable. It fits the mood, but it's a very intuitive process. Sometimes I'm I put some music under a scene, and then I look at it, I rewatch it, and I'm thinking this. Mm, the music is not bad, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't convey the emotion. And I never know if that is just me, if this is a personal thing, or if this is an intuition that's more universal. I've, I've, I've seen that with uh, when Hugo is editing my episodes. He sometimes makes music choices that are so different from mine. And I'm watching it, and the music is grating to my ears. I just don't have the same taste and I'm like, oh, God, if I was making this episode, I would never pick that music, ever. I would never voluntarily listen to that music. But, you know, in the end, you just, whatever. <laughs> That's his choice. So is it just taste? Or sometimes I just feel like I found exactly the right music. And it's, it's almost, I don't know, it's almost providential that sometimes a piece of music has a certain rhythm to it or it has a development where and I put it underneath a scene that I've already edited and then when the music goes into crescendo and and becomes more just amplifies and and sometimes it's right at the at the it's a, it's a perfect moment where the story also you want to give it a little bit more oomph and and the music just works together with the images as if it was composed for the images but in order to find that piece of music you need to have time, and the time is way too short. <clears throat> uh, so the, I've, I've explained this before, the deadlines are for me a blessing and a curse. The blessing is it forces me to deliver, forces me to go sit down and work for a couple of days. It gives me an occasion to focus, but it also has a huge downside, and that is uh, oftentimes it, it, it pushes you to make compromises and... The end result would be probably a lot better and my health would also benefit tremendously from having two weeks instead of one week for each episode. So imagine my, you know, my struggle with this proposition that I recently got to make another 15 episodes of the, of the TV show. When I was planning the year... I did not account for that. And 15 episodes, you've got to keep in mind, that is 15 days of, of filming, which is already the bare minimum for, uh, for a TV episode, and at least three days of editing, if you're lucky. Most of the time, if I'm honest, I'm putting four or five days in it. I just squeeze it into the same three days, which gives me work days of like 13, 14 hours of work, which is way too much. Um, so I'm calculating that is, well, let's say five days per episode, 15 episodes. That is 75 days of this year, of what is left of this year, which is like seven or eight months. That is a lot of 
time for a TV show. And um, yesterday we had a board meeting uh, of Tridio, and the board members asked me to uh, to make a spreadsheet. This is the first time that I've ever done this. A spreadsheet of all the productions that I'm involved with, and then per month calculate the amount of time it takes to make these productions. And then what I did was I I made a, a, an extensive list of everything. And it's just the the, the trick is to not uh, downplay the work that I put into, for instance, this podcast or the the regular podcast. I've noticed that because I was so focused on these TV shows, I just did not have the energy and the time to record my regular shows. Um, today, I'm making this commitment. It's Friday, so I still have a little bit of space to squeeze those in. But the reason that I didn't record them was actually I didn't budget for it. I did not take into account a few weeks ago that if I, were, if I was to make these three episodes... Uh, for the for TV, there would be no time left for anything else, and instead, I still have uh, lots of other duties that I need to fulfill. So that's why those productions go by the wayside. Which is, according to my board, that should not happen. You should always plan with margin. You should always know what you what you're committing to, and make sure. And that is also the job of the board to guarantee that that can be done with, with joy, so that it's fun. When you have to work until 3.30 in the morning, I guarantee you it's no longer fun, you know? It's, <laughs> it's just like, get this over with. I want to I sleep. Um, so it has to be fun. It also has to be... Um, it, I need to stay balanced. I need to have energy. I need to stay healthy because if I don't... Uh, over time, everything will start to suffer. So I made this, this this spreadsheet. It took me a few days, actually, to, first of all, to come up with everything I did. It's always more than you think. Everything we planned or committed to, which is also always more than you think. And then I had to calculate, what is the actual time that this is going to take? And so instead of saying, well, I'll just record a podcast whenever I have a moment... I just was, let's be serious. If I want to produce a, a, a regular episode of, of my Father Roderick show or Father Roderick to the Max that I make for the patrons, I need to sit down for at least two hours and do my research and prepare and write the show notes and uh, get, you know, have enough to talk about. Then I have to sit down, do the stream, record the show, that is all, and there's another two hours, and then I still need to upload it, tag it. Uh, sometimes I, I outsource that to Inga. Sometimes I do it myself, especially if I am doing this, uh, making a show during the weekend. That's another hour, easily. So in total, if I'm honest, this is five hours of work. The podcast is five hours of work. Whereas in my mind, it has always been, oh, it's just one hour because the duration of the podcast is one hour. But then you forget about all the preparation, all the post-production. So it is, um, I, right now I budgeted it for half a day, which is technically sp- speaking four hours. But it's still, if you, it, it adds up. If I produce eight 
shows every month, that is still four full days, you know? So what is left? And then what else do you have to do that week um, and, and, and that month? That is the way that I calculated. And then I, I noticed, and this was the benefit of doing this exercise, um, that the upcoming months, with the addition of these TV shows that I have to produce, and when I say I have to, it's a choice that I made. Um, but then, of course, if you commit to it, then you have to make sure that you can and that you stay healthy and that it's fun. So I noticed that if I were to do these TV shows, then the month of June and July were going to be, um, I think I calculated 35 and a half days of work. How many days has a month? Uh, does a month have? 30, 31. So just by adding up the, uh, the work that I committed to, it was 35 hours, more than, or sorry, 35 days. So it's obvious that I wouldn't have one single day off during the month of June. And, and for, for years, I've always worked like this. And then I would just sometimes be lucky when something would take less time than I thought, and that would give me some spare time. But most of the time, I would just pay for this, these, ex, these non-existent days by just putting in sleep, sleep time, or book reading time. It's rare in the past day, years that I've had days that had just eight hours of work. It was very, very normal for me to have days with 12 to 14 hours of work. And then I would still watch Netflix. So <laughs> can you imagine the sleep deprivation and just a lack of time for what normally should constitute a, a balanced life? So this, this is uh, obviously, for me, it was the seeing that, calculating the real time that it would take to do the work that I committed to, obviously I need to hire some hand, helping hands. I need to do this with someone else. And then, and this is what the board told me, that is where you have to tell yourself that it is okay to hire other people. And, and what, what, the thing is that I've got this constant mental voice that tells me, but that's going to cost you. And... Uh, you, if you do it yourself, it's much cheaper and, and you can do it faster. And, but I'm always forgetting to calculate the costs or the value, I should say, of my own sanity. And I'm just looking at the technical part of the work, the physical amount of time that I'm working on a project. But even when I'm editing, <clears throat> and I've noticed this also past week, it's not that I'm just working when I'm sitting behind a computer. It is day and night. Even when I'm sleeping, I am still, my brain is still processing the story and making decisions. And so I sometimes w wake up and I, I know exactly how I'm going to edit a scene that yesterday I didn't know how to handle. So it is actually way more uh, uh, energy and, and, and uh, uh, resources that I bring into the uh, into the mix so f f yesterday the board meeting was another confirmation that 
if I am to reach my goals, I need to start spending. I need to start investing. And I, I don't like those words because I've always lived on a shoestring budget. I still, in a certain way, live on a shoestring budget. But sometimes you have to invest in things that are truly valuable um, in itself. But even more, you in, you're investing not just in the work that has to be done, but you're also, in a certain way, paying for the, the ability to do something else. Be it reading books or, or praying or going for a walk without recording. <laughs> That is crazy that I just don't even allow myself to go out for a walk without taking my recorder with me. And another thing that um, Michiel, who is um, our secretary of, of the board right now, what he said is we need to just take this as a single topic for, an, for a future meeting of the board because this is also, as long as he's been part of the board and that's now two years, I always see the same pattern. I see everything rests on the shoulders of Father Roderick uh, when it comes to the production, to the creative side. And it's always by chance almost that things work out. Um, but what, what we notice now is that with the amount of commitments that are already uh, given, there is no room for these bigger plans that we have. So the vision is, of course, to grow. So he said, if, if your dream is to get to the next level, which would be Netflix-quality documentaries for an international audience, if you want to build up that larger group of people that can benefit from those stories, larger than what you're, people you're currently reaching on, on Dutch television, then you need to have room to develop that. And if, if you plan months with... Um, 35 days worth of work <laughs> there's not even time to sleep in those during those months and so when we want to as a, or an organization if we, if we take this seriously this is not just Father Roderick's life we're all this is about the mission and if our mission requires us to build up new initiatives and to expand what we do and improve what we do we should start to invest in the current affairs to make that possible. This is um, walking past the parking lot on the backside of the church. And so people, when the sun is shining, they open their windows and play loud music. Uh, this, this is a town with a large student popu uh, population. So, and this is a, it's a very noisy place, uh, especially now that they're expanding the little. There's this... Uh, supermarket most of you know the brand it's a German supermarket chain and I was surprised when I started to do the groceries here for the house group how small the little was for such a big town with so many students because it's a popular store for, for students and so what they did is they bought the other building next to the current supermarket and now they're expanding it but they kind of completely tore down as far as I can tell now I'm looking just looking at the building they completely tore down everything on the inside of this building and they're currently redoing the roof I think the ceiling 
and so that's making a ton of noise and my uh, my loft is actually has the windows on this side of the of the church so uh, it's a bit tricky that I when I do a record a voiceover I constantly have this noise of these workers that is Cor who is one of the uh, sacristans I think and one of the volunteers here in the parish he actually uh, brought the ethernet cable to my room which I'm still eternally grateful for <laughs> at least with with a cabled internet I can upload an episode of my TV show in four hours instead of um, an eternity <laughs> um, so the the the, the 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 one thing that I'm struggling with is uh, how do I want this next part of the year uh, to look like do I well I already committed to the 15 episodes because I'm thinking this is actually I, I did enjoy uh, recording the episodes and doing the interviews and I have a ton of ideas for uh, stories to tell I'm not finished with my story here yet, so I'm gonna I'm already back at the rectory but I'm turning to the right now I'm just gonna walk down to shopping street uh, to finish our conversation um, do I truly want to spend months the, the, the next six or seven months mostly on the TV work I've, I've shared with you so many times that I'm actually really desperate for a change in that in that kind of work balance I want to have time to focus on my YouTube channel and on the podcast and on especially on these bigger documentaries and I have no I'm not under the illusion is that a expression? <laughs> it is in Dutch I, I don't imagine that I can already produce a Netflix worthy ep- uh, documentary this year uh, because of everything else going on especially because of the move if the move if I could have stayed in the old rectory then probably yes I could have planned it but not now um, but I can already try out the work that is necessary for a bigger documentary so what I could do is go on uh, a two week excursion and make that you know documentary about Harry Potter or, or Tolkien even better and, and go to England and go to Scotland and Ireland and uh, I've already, I'm already planning for New Zealand uh, for I want to do a documentary that I at least partially film in New Zealand because of this upcoming television show you know that now recently has been renewed already for the second season this is going to be a big thing it's one of the most expensive TV series ever made including Game of Thrones so you bet that this is going to be big and I'm absolutely 100% certain that uh, there is ample material for a, for a documentary. But um, if I want to do these 15 episodes all by myself, um, I won't have the time. Uh, so what I did was, if I want to, I need to create space. I need to create room. Let's be pragmatic. What does my audience require me to do? 15 episodes and in previous years uh, there were always four or five episodes from Rome uh, because people enjoy hearing about the Pope in my country that is a 
huge exception. You hardly ever hear about what's going on in the Vatican because we hardly have any um, TV. We don't have any Catholic parties making this kind of stuff. It's just some written articles. Most of the people, the broad audience, has no clue what's happening in the Vatican. Um, and so for me, that was always part of my mission since I make one of the last-standing Catholic programs on TV, I need to include the Vatican. There was also a very pragmatic reason for that, and that is if I do that and I plan it well, in one week I can easily film, well, not easily, with a bit of effort, I can film four episodes. And if I can stay during the weekend, which has never been possible before, but now thanks to my 100% media nomination, that's what I can do. I can stay for let's say a week and a half or even two weeks just in a few in a very relatively short time I can be done with five episodes that's one third of the total workload and that's just one week of filming and then the the last ten episodes I could film those in the Netherlands what I would like to do is to film all those in this upcoming month during the month of June um, the weather is finally improving. Uh, this is still not the, you know, the hot summertime when everyone's on vacation. Life is still relatively normal given the circumstances. So this is the perfect time to go out and film. But that requires me to free up almost every single day of the month of June. Now we're almost there, and maybe by the time you're listening to this, it is already the month of June. So... I'm kind of like on the fence. Am I going to film everything myself? Am I going to hire someone else to help me with that? Uh, am I planning on editing this myself? If I want to do that, then I need to make sure that I film it in such a way that it is easier and faster to edit than what I've done uh, in the previous months. It's all, it's all possible, but you have to think it through and not just wing it, which has always been kind of my... Modus operandi. By the way, I'm, I'm now walking on the main square of Wageningen. It's a circular square. There's a big church in the middle. Protestant church. Used to be Catholic. And uh, all the terraces are full of people eating ice cream, having a, even already a glass of beer. That's pretty early for a beer. Although some people think it's never too early for a glass of beer. <laughs> and uh, we're approaching lunchtime. But I... Uh, promised to be there for lunch at the at the rectory so um what i <laughs> on the one hand i'm thinking let's go for it let's do this let's just see how far i can get uh, on the other hand i already have to make a decision if i'm going to do it myself film, so film everything myself i will approach things differently than if i can hire someone to do that for me uh, and then i will have less stress uh, but then oftentimes it, it also doesn't turn into the kind of stories that I would tell if I would do it by myself. So anyway, choices, choices, choices. <laughs> I, in the previous months I've... I don't think I've... I, I think I've made more choices than in, in the past three years before that. <laughs> you have to make so many decisions. Uh, and I never get used to it. I'm always like, oh, should I really do that? <laughs> but... On the other hand, if you never decide, you never get ahead in life. So um, I'll just go for it. But the advantage is uh, I will have 
everything concentrated in the month of June so that by the time I'm done with filming, I can then decide to either edit it myself or outsource part of it or outsource everything. But at least I'll have my hands free and I can focus. Well, actually, now that I'm, that I'm telling you this, I'm thinking, duh, of course I'm going to outsource the editing. If I filmed it myself, then, the, you know, the quality is going to be there. The, the material is going to be there. I know how to film this show. Uh, but then I'd, I'd be done, basically. I can just throw it over the, over the fence and someone else will edit it. And I will then have the, the time that I calculated for to do um, my usual work. There's this one other project that I've committed to that we've already postponed because of COVID, which was this puppet show. So someone is now working on a Father Roderick Muppet. <laughs> it's, this is real. So um, I, I dabbled with uh, puppet shows at the start of the COVID time, and uh, well, that was really enjoyable. It was a, a kind of a, a nice creative experiment to tell, to give children like a weekly... Uh, fun video to watch uh, that would also be educational and inspirational and then I was like okay but I'm doing this with uh, just off the shelf you know toy toy animals we can do something better so I had someone make a a Muppet version of the characters that I that I used or at least that was the plan but then she, she was like, well, what if I make a Muppet version of you? And so uh, she made a design. And it's actually, it's definitely a Muppet. And yeah, it is recognizable as me. So I'm thinking, well, okay, that, I, that helped me to rethink the project a little bit. So the original idea was to do um, short weekly episodes where... A few animals would go to church, literally, and there would be this uh, pastor, this priest who is a, also a stuffed animal. Uh, they would read the gospel, and then they, there would be sh- a short conversation between the animals. And that worked really well. It was fun to write, and not too hard to make. It took about half a day to, well, actually half a day to film it, and then another half a day to edit it. So one day per video. That's, that's not too shabby. But then... So we started to develop the project like that. Well, what if we would make an episode always linked to the gospel of the, of the week? And then my initial idea was, well, why don't we do that in such a way that we can also translate it into English? That will give it a much bigger scope than if I would just do this stuff in Dutch. Um, and with puppets, of course, there's no lip syncing. You can just create an English version of the soundtrack and you're done. You can just do the editing once and have results for multiple language groups. We could even do other languages over time with little or no extra investment. So that was a no-brainer. But then I was thinking, should we do the gospel of the week? One thing that I've noticed is that these the homilies that I do for Mass on Sundays, the ones that we stream, actually if you just take the homily... That in itself, I always try to tell it in such a way that you can isolate it from the liturgical year and you can listen to it at some other time in the year and it would still be relevant. Like on Pentecost, I, my homily was about 
languages, of course, because of the miracle of, of Pentecost, where everyone can understand the, the apostles. <clears throat> and uh, the... Uh, let me turn... What time is it? Let me see if I can go another... Make a short detour. No, actually, I have to go to the rectory. These big trucks, DHL delivery service... There's a bit of a traffic jam here, so now all the trucks are passing me by. Um, but then I, I, um, I had a, an evening here in the parish where I helped Father Henry. <clears throat> uh, and we had conversations with uh, uh, the children. Wow, these are loud. My apologies for that. With, with children uh, that are about to receive the Sacrament of Confirmation. And so they were invited to either uh, have a confession, uh, receive the Sacrament of, uh, of Forgiveness, or uh, if they are not ready for that yet or they don't want to, um, to just have a, con- a short conversation with the priest about their faith. And one thing that came back time and again in these conversations that I had these were all like 12 or 13 year olds was that they all told me you know we love this confirmation education because this is the first time that we hear about the Catholic faith we never come across this information anywhere else and it made me realize how much we need to educate the youth we need to make sure that they understand the Catholic faith not just Bible stories but that they understand what being a Catholic is all about. So I'm thinking, well, maybe that is what we should emphasize and that we, what we should focus on with the stories with the priest, which would require us to aim for a slightly older demographic than we originally planned. So, well, it's a fun project, but in order to make that happen and to be ready for the next school year with that, I need to make sure that I... Uh, get rid of the TV work at the beginning of the summer. There you have it. That is uh, my current state. Back at the rectory. Let's see if they're already eating. I guess so. Maybe I think they start eating at uh, a little bit earlier, but you never know. Hello. Wow. Tanta gente. There are a lot of people eating there. Um, but there's still a seat left for me. So um, I'm just going to put the equipment here in the small day chapel of the rectory. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, uh, yeah, so take, take a look at, the, at your podcast feed because I'll be recording my regular shows finally today. Uh, talk to you soon. God bless.